God, help us to be attentive to you and to your word, to your will, to your way. In our busy, crazy, hectic lives, right here after Easter. Kidding. Help us to uh, slow down, free us from the distractions, free us from the things that uh, lay claim to our minds and our time and our energy and our emotions. That we might, uh, at least for this time, have a respite from the world, that we might give you our fullest attention. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray, deviate, are inconsistent with your word, may they just be passed over forgotten, done. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So have you ever heard of Simeon? Not Simon, but uh, Simeon. For some of us, when we hear the name Simeon, our minds go to that little town on the central coast that plays host to William Randolph Hearst's big home, his castle, San Simeon. But our interest this morning is not the little town, but it is the person after whom that little town was named so many years ago, the Simeon, the Simeon from Scripture. Of course, there are three Simeons in Scripture. Uh, Maybe you know that. Uh, The first Simeon in the Scriptures is uh, from the Old Testament. He's one of the 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel. And so when the land of Israel is divided into 12 tribes, one of them is named Simeon. And so we see that name throughout the Scriptures, one of the sons of Israel. Jacob or Israel, and so one of the tribes of Israel. The third Simeon shows up in the middle of the book of Acts just in passing. He was a teacher in the church in Antioch, and we know almost nothing about him other than his name and that he was a teacher in the church in Antioch. The second one, the second Simeon in the scriptures, we know a little bit more about, and he will be our focus this morning. The other Simeon shows up of, in all pla- of all places uh, in the birth narrative of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And this is a surprise to many of us because uh, we don't talk a lot about Simeon ordinarily, not even during Advent, not even during Christmas. We hear about the baby Jesus, we hear about Mary and Joseph, we hear about shepherds and wise men, we hear about stars and magi. Uh, Even the animals, which are never actually mentioned, we were uh, regurgitating as we did a little exercise in our home this week, the animals that we had at Live Nativity that that are always in the set of a live, of a crash or nativity scene aren't mentioned in the scriptures themselves, but even the animals get more attention than Simeon. It's true. Even the wise men or the magi or the kings get more attention or more often show up in a nativity scene than, than does Simeon, even though they come along maybe two years later after Jesus' birth. And Simeon shows up only a few weeks after Jesus' birth. I think the gospel uh, author Luke would be shocked to see today how much airtime the shepherds get when the story of Jesus' birth is recounted because when Luke wrote things out, he actually committed more words to Simeon than he did to the shepherds. So let's not be surprised if one day Simeon makes a comeback in the polls. He was way up there for Luke, and as we'll uh, read in just a moment. So from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, listen closely. This is the Word of God. Bam. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what was said also in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, or anointed one, or Christ. And remember, they've been waiting a long time for Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about baby Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Then we fast forward and skip a few verses about an older woman named Anna, a prophetess who was also there in the temple. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, because they were law-abiding, faithful, Jewish, devout people, they returned to Galilee to their own, their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew up and be- became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And what is happening here was prescribed in much detail in the Old Testament, in the books of Exodus and in the book of Leviticus. First the, law said that for, first, the law said that the firstborn male of every womb, whether that of a woman or a cow or a chicken or whatever, was to be consecrated to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, given over to the Lord. But owners or parents of children could also redeem those passages in the Old Testament, say, or buy back those sons or those animals with certain offerings, for example, a lamb, sort of a buyback program. You remember that Hannah did not buy back her firstborn son, Samuel, but instead allowed him to remain in and be raised in the temple, consecrated to the Lord. And that was not completely uncommon. But it was normal practice for a person to redeem or buy back their firstborn son or the first male offspring of one's animals with, uh, as an offering to the Lord and to get that back with an offering, which is what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus. So second, a woman, uh, about 40 days after giving birth to a son, had to go through this ceremonial cleansing process. It was 80 days for baby girls, and I'm not exactly sure why girls are more difficult. Mine have just been lovely. But they would have this offering for uh, the woman in this postpartum condition, about 40 days, eight days circumcised, and then about another 30 days a month for her to go through this process of also in the temple offering a burnt offering and a sin offering. And so Mary and Joseph with her, because, Mary, because Joseph participated in her birth, were there to do that as acts of devotion to the Lord. And all of this was quite normal. And Jesus' parents, devout Jews, did what they were supposed to do. We can't dismiss the culture or the faith in which Jesus grew up. 
in which he was born, in which he was raised. We see him often as a critic as we go through the disciples of Judaism, of the law, of the practices of the, and the traditions of the people. But he was one who was immersed in those from birth and lived and practiced and encouraged his disciples to practice those as well. And so rather he is discerning about what he intends the Jews to continue to do and not to do. He clarifies, corrects, and he redeems people out of love along the way for their perversions at times of the law. And everything that was happening just as it would happen was just as expected with any newborn baby, with any newborn son and his mother until in Luke's telling, onto the stage, so to speak, walks Simeon. And Luke tells us only a few things about Simeon. First, he was a devout and just person or devout and righteous. He was an upright man. His heart was good. He did his best to see God and to obey the law of Moses. And second, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, quote, unquote. We talked about that back on December 8th when we read from Isaiah 40, that very key passage with which Handel began his Messiah. Messiah. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Another translation of that word comfort would be to console, to console. And the Jewish people were waiting for this so-called consolation or consummation of Israel. They had waited and waited and waited for hundreds of years, really going all the way back to the time of Moses when in Deuteronomy he says, another prophet who is greater than me will come. And then all of the prophets along the way for hundreds of years foretell that a greater and the greatest prophet, a son of David, a king, would come who would redeem and rescue and restore and reconcile and rebuild Israel. And so they are waiting, and there's this period of 400 years of silence where no prophets speak in Israel. And the waiting goes on, and some people give up. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, different people had different ideas about when Messiah would come, what they must do or what would happen in order to precipitate the coming of Messiah. And Simeon was one of these waiters, one of these watchers, one of these people who longed for the consolation of Israel, the rebuilding of Israel, the restoration of Israel, as had been promised. And third, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. We might use a different language to say that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that couple of verses there, right there about Simeon, three times Luke is intentional about saying that Simeon is filled with the Holy Spirit, listens to the Holy Spirit, guided by the Holy Spirit. And this is where things get unusual now. These are, those are the things that we know about Simeon, but this is where things get unusual. Mary and Joseph were doing their thing, and then out of nowhere, this man named Simeon steps into their lives. Luke gives us no indication that Mary and Joseph had any idea who he was. He wasn't a priest. He didn't belong in the temple. He wasn't an elder. He wasn't really a known entity in the temple complex. He was a guy who, it seems, wandered around Jerusalem, which was the most likely place Messiah would show up, who wandered around Jerusalem and had for maybe many years, maybe we think he was an old man, waiting, watching, and hoping to see God's Messiah because he loved God and because he loved Israel, because he loved the people of God. 
And Luke says that Simeon took Jesus in his arms and let's hope that he asked. Luke doesn't say. It would be like some parents presenting their child up here for baptism and all of a sudden someone in the congregation whom they don't know and have no clue who he is steps onto the platform and says, may I hold your child, may I hold your baby, may I hold your boy. And Mary and Joseph seem to trust him and so as a couple, mother, father, as it may be, hand the baby to Simeon. And then Simeon speaks these words. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And Mary and Joseph must have been delighted at those words, surprised, and not all that surprised, because nothing had been ordinary so far over the past 10 or 11 months in their life with the message from the angel and then the conception and then the pregnancy and then the birth especially of Jesus. But they must have been delighted, encouraged, blessed, thrilled with Simeon's words. And then Simeon actually, Luke says, blessed them, both of them. And then this dear man, whom in just moments had, they had come to trust and appreciate, then Simeon says to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And at that point, we would have sympathized with Mary if she had said, give me back my boy. Give me back my baby. Because these were hard words. These were difficult words. These were painful words, and Mary must have had at least a hint that there was some truth in them. There would be facets of this baby's life, his ministry, his public life, that would be very difficult for him, that would be very difficult for his mother, very difficult for his mother to witness, the ways in which he would be ridiculed and rejected, and the ways in which he would eventually die. Mary would have had to endure not only the death of one of her children, the most unnatural and unbearable of experiences, but also the excruciating excruciating nature of his death and the public humiliation that he suffered along with that. And when Simeon said this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, he's using language from Isaiah. Language that is used in various other places throughout the New Testament in reference to Jesus. Jesus would eventually become like a fork in the road. A fork in the road of people's lives. They would have to choose for him or against him. There would be no neutrality around Jesus. They would either love him or they would hate them, hate him. And we can see that in the Gospels taking shape. And we can see that in history. And we can see that in our lives. And we can see that in our homes. And now here are maybe some of the things that we can learn from Simeon along the way. First, Simeon trusted God. I love the second song that we picked out that Stephen picked out more than a week ago. About trusting God's promises. 
Simeon trusted all of these promises going back thousands of years about Messiah. He trusted that what God promised God would bring about, that what God said God would do, God would do. And he grounded his life on that reality. Do we trust the promises of God for us, for the world, for our lives? Are our lives built on, established on, grounded in the promises of God that are good? Simeon trusted God and so trusted, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, if you were here, the meaning of the word trust, believe, trust. Simeon trusted the promises of God and entrusted himself to those. Second, his life had a purpose. His life had one overarching dominant purpose that was greater than all of the other purposes in his life, greater than all of the other purposes a person could have for themselves. What is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of my life? Are we able to coalesce in words right now God's purpose for us, what we are about, for what we are living? What is the purpose of your life? Simeon's clear purpose at that point in his life was to seek, to wait, and to watch for, and to see what God had promised the coming of Messiah to Israel, for Israel, and for the whole world. What is the single, refining, defining focus of your life today? More important than all of the other foci that occupy our time and energy and space. Third, Simeon was attentive to the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit in his life, as we will see in different places with different people throughout Luke. Simeon was explicitly filled with and attentive to the Holy Spirit in his life, which meant that he was led where the Holy Spirit led him, and he went along the way, finding himself uh, all of a sudden with Mary and Joseph in the temple courts at just the right moment. I can't answer this question barely for myself, but much less for you. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit, attentive to the Holy Spirit, and ready to go where and as the Holy Spirit leads you? To act, to say, to do, to give, to speak, to love. As the Spirit leads you. The Spirit still is with us. The Spirit still leads. Number four, Simeon had learned the secret of contentment. And there's a famine, I think, with contentment in our world today. Let your servant depart now in peace. He had realized what so many people long for. Contentment and peace. Because the thing that he had sought, the thing that God had promised and that he had waited for had come. The passage offers a whole perspective on, on life and on contentment. Contentment is not a matter of age or energy level, nor is it a function of accumulation. It is defined by an openness to serve God and to Love and follow Jesus. Simeon had realized 
he had obtained contentment. Number five, God speaks to and works through all different types of people, rural, urban, young, old. We see that really when we look at it in these first two chapters of Luke's gospel, what we call Luke's uh, birth narrative. This, the diverse men, women, old, young, rural, urban, Jewish, Gentile, pagan, people through whom God acts, interjects, works, speaks. God was an equal opportunity employer, and he did not, and we would see it even more if we read those verses about Anna that I left out, a very, very old woman, well into her 80s at least, whom God was still speaking to and God was still using in the divine birth narrative. His name was Calvin, and he ran Sanders Barbershop on St. Mary Street in San Antonio, a very dumpy area, dumpy little barbershop where I used to get my hair cut for years in San Antonio. And one of the things that Calvin used to say, Calvin was in his 70s, he'd get up at 4.30 every morning, drive in from his country home, a uh, little house in the country into San Antonio, and set up shop and cut hair all day and drive back home. And he used to say, the word retirement isn't in the Bible. So I'm going to keep cutting hair as long as I can. He wasn't doing it, doing it for the money anymore, but because God had called him to cut hair. And so he kept doing it. The word retirement is not in the Bible. And part of the message of Simeon and Anna is that God uses people and speaks to people well into their later years. Zechariah is really brilliant, also in the birth narrative. Uh, he doesn't say to the angel, my wife's really old. He says, very wisely, she is well along in years. God continues to use us when we're well along in years, which reminds me of uh, one person who's sitting on the third pew this morning whose birthday happens to be today, and we're going to interrupt to sing happy birthday to you, Marilyn. How weird is that? Can we do it? Oh, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Marilyn, we love you, happy birthday to you. We can do this sort of thing on the Sunday after Christmas. Happy birthday. Marilyn told me a, a couple of weeks ago that she actually stopped having birthdays, uh, what, a, a little while back. Um, but Marilyn hasn't stopped serving well into her later years. <laughs> Continues to serve every week with Kingdom Club and inspire many of us in that. Number six. We can learn from Simeon that Jesus is salvation, which is what he said. It doesn't say that Jesus is a good teacher. It doesn't just say that Jesus is Messiah. It doesn't say that Jesus was uh, a great leader. It doesn't say that Jesus knew the way to the way. He says that Jesus was the way. Jesus is salvation. We would do well to learn that salvation is not a track. It's not a prayer. It's not church membership. 
It's not uh, having one's sins forgiven. Salvation is Jesus. Jesus is salvation. I have seen your salvation when he saw Jesus. And then finally, Simeon describes Jesus as a light to the Gentiles which shouldn't have been a surprise to those who heard him because Isaiah in particular had spoken about a light to the Gentiles years before. But as we are inclined to do, so the Jews were inclined to do is to think only of themselves and their own piece of the pie and their own context and their own world and to live myopically like horses racing down the track. As if Jesus, who was very Jewish, and was the Messiah of the Jewish people was only for them. But the message, part of the message of Simeon and the message for the church and the message for us is that this salvation isn't just for me, but is for all of the people around me, whether they recognize Messiah or not. The scriptures and different authors in the scripture are repetitive about that. He is the Savior of the Lord and not of the Jews only we would do well to remember Jesus is salvation and he is salvation for all peoples. And so what I want to encourage you to do today in wrapping up is to take a minute or two in silence and you've got little use for your bulletin from here out. So take your bulletin and with the blank space, white space open on that, let me encourage you to do two things to write down ways in which you have grown in Christ or in your faith or in your following Jesus over the past 12 months, kind of as we're here at the end of the year, right after Easter. And then also think about ways that you can grow in Christ, in faith, and following Christ in the new year. And maybe ways God is speaking to you may be influenced or affected by Simeon, that God is calling us to grow individually in the coming year and write those down. And just give you a, a minute or so. To, not going to ask you to share it with anyone against your will. We're not going to do anything with it here, though you're free and encouraged to share it with someone, with one of the elders, with someone in your uh, life group, with a mentor, with me for the sake of accountability, but we, we cannot go through the next year unintentionally, unexamined, as Socrates said. Have a minute. It's free.
consistent with some of the things that Simeon spoke to Mary about Jesus in some ways being a divisive person about uh, rising and falling, about compelling people to make decisions to choose for or against. I want to read something from C.S. Lewis that many of you, uh, words that many of you are familiar with. Lewis writes, I am trying to prevent here anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus, that I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. And then one more line from a guy named Jim Elliott that may be helpful for some of us. Uh, Jim Elliott was, um, as a young man, he and some others went down to Ecuador uh, to take the gospel to an unreached people group. Before that, he wrote, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me be not a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that people must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Let's pray. We delight in what we have learned, what we know, what we see about and in Simeon God. And in some ways we also tremble. Thank you for the ministry of Simeon, the words that you spoke through him, the way that you blessed Mary and Joseph through him. And thank you for the reminders of the cost of his salvation. The cost of our salvation through him who is salvation. And for the reminder that not only would that at times be unbearable for Mary, his mother, but may also be the same for us. Thank you for the year behind us. We look forward with eager anticipation and faith and hope and eagerness to the year ahead and to the things uh, you have for us, for the doors that you will open, for the paths that we may walk down. Help us to follow the Good Shepherd, to trust Him, to learn again and anew His way, to find joy in that, and to participate in the coming of your kingdom. May it come. Amen.